Hey everyone, welcome to the Naz Church Weekly Message Podcast. Here you will listen to the preaching pastor from the Naz in Grove City, Ohio. We pray you are inspired by their teachings. Well, good morning and welcome to week two of Rivers and Roads. And I'm going to let you know right ahead of time. I don't normally come up here with a mug, but it's Father's Day. So I brought the only mug I have that says Dad on it. And then uh, here is some tea and honey. And I know I sound horrible. And I know it sounds painful. It's not painful for to me. It's just be painful for you. So I hope that you all will be able to make it through today as we take our week two through Rivers and Roads. Last week, Pastor John did a great job opening the book of Acts and talking to us about the first miracle that took place. Peter and John go to the temple, heal a man who had been lame since birth. And uh, as a result, they end up before the Pharisees and Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, this group uh, that ruled in Jerusalem. They send them away. And uh, we got to see the power of the Holy Spirit working through the disciples. But the sermon ended this way. Before I get to that, I need to tell you something else. These are my church clothes today. This is the Nasters. I got to represent the Nasters. I haven't been playing in the Nasters, but they were nice enough to give me a golf shirt. And since it's Father's Day, I figured I'd wear it. So here's what I want y'all to do. Turn next to, your, to the closest dad you see near you. We're not going to get up and make you shake hands. But if you see a dad near you, turn around and find one real quick. Find a dad and say, I'm buying you a round of golf this week. No, just kidding. Just do that real quick. So... Excuse me, some of you are going to have a hard time this week. Acts Acts chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, open Acts chapter 4. It's about three-fourths of the way back in your Bible if you have the whole Bible. If you just have a New Testament, it's the fifth book in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. I'm going to start reading in Matthew chapter 4. This first verse is what Pastor John ended his sermon with last week. It says, after this prayer, they just prayed together, the disciples had, the meeting place shook. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Not some of them, but all of them. Then they all preached the word of God with boldness. That would mean if the Holy Spirit came and filled this place, it wouldn't just be Pastor Dale, David, John, uh, Brittany, Bailey, uh, Misty, and Caleb, and the pastors here at the church. It would just be all of us that went out and shared the gospel. Then it goes on to say this. All the believers were united in heart and mind They all felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring all the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was this man, Joseph, the one of the the apostles named Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi, and he came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field that he owned and brought the money to the apostles. The ushers are going to come forward at this time, and we're going to receive... I'm just kidding. I'm just teasing. Y'all can relax. We already did offering. What happened is, it sounds like a utopia, right? This just sense of people living together, and they have everything that they need, and they just give to whoever needs it. They sell property. Sounds like an awesome thing. It reminds me of um, Jack Handy. Some of y'all that are younger won't remember Jack Handy. Those of you that are older, um, they'd have this deep thoughts with Jack Handy on Saturday Night Live, and it was just stupid sayings. But one of my favorite Jack Handy sayings was sometimes I like to sit around and imagine a world 
where there is no war. All is peace. The people live in safety and unity with one another. They love one another. There are no guns. There are no weapons of any kind. And I like to think about that land and how easy it would be to go in and take it over. (laughs) That's what this sounds like. Everybody's, oh, it's just kumbaya and we're sharing everything and everything's going along great and Barnabas sells property and gives it to the church. Now we know the early church did this and there are some people that say we should go back to that. But what we find is years later, as Paul writes letters to the other churches, he says to them, hey, while you're at it, um, take up an offering for the church at Jerusalem. Because what was going on in Jerusalem is the the Christians believed Jesus is coming back soon. So we're not gonna need all this stuff. So when Jesus did not immediately return, they ran out of money. They ran out of farmland in which to farm and have food and they were stuck. (coughs) Excuse me, they were struggling. So Peter, Paul says, sorry, Paul says, send, take up an offering and send back money for the church at Jerusalem. So where we sit now is this beautiful picture of utopia though, um, people living together. And everywhere I've ever grown up in the church, this has kind of been how people have lived. There's a practicality that we have, but there's also a sense of what I have is yours. If you need something from me, you can borrow it. Uh, it's yours just as much as it's mine. It's God's, God owns it all, right? So as we live together, that's kind of how, how we live as believers. There are people that I know if I needed a truck tomorrow, I could call them and say, hey, I need your truck. Can I borrow your truck? They'd say, sure, Pastor Dale. And if they needed something of mine, I don't know what I have that they would want. I give them free baptisms or something. I don't know, um, whatever they need from me. But we live in that sort of unity. But in the midst of this, the scripture takes a really weird turn. We're only five chapters into the book of Acts and we have this weird turn that takes place. If you'll go down um, to the next passage, chapter five, starting at verse one. <clears throat> Let me take a tea break. But there was a certain man named Ananias who with his wife Sapphira sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles claiming that it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. I want all the men in the room to say this with me. Repeat after me. With his wife's consent. Yes, can you say amen? There we go. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let... Some of you guys are going, does pastor really mean that? Y'all, were, y'all are not nearly as loud as first service was on that one. Um, then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. Soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. I'd imagine so. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet and took him out to be buried. Uh, in first service, I told the ushers what I was preaching about. They pray over me before service starts. And I told them what I was preaching. And they said, you need us to get ready to like drag people out of the service when they die. I was like, no, not, not today. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, was this the price you and your husband received for the land? She replied, yes, that was the price. Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door. They will carry you out too. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. 
When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. Now's when I should take the offering, right? I'm just kidding. Let's bow our heads. Gracious Father, thank you. This is a weird passage for a Father's Day. We pray that you'd be with us in these next few moments, that you would, you would speak to us. We know that you've promised wherever two or three are gathered, you're right here in our midst. So Lord, whether we're gathered in this room, whether we're watching online, for everyone that's under the sound of my voice right now, we pray, Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? Apply this passage to our hearts. Shape us to look like you, to be like you. Lord, whatever it is that you tell us today, we've come expecting to hear from you. So Lord, speak. Your servants are listening. We're gonna try to do what you tell us to do. It's in Christ's name we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. So this is an interesting passage. I know for Father's Day, this is a really weird passage. Um, as I was going across it, somebody said, this is on, it looks like it's on money. Why didn't you give Pastor John or Pastor David the chance to preach this one? Um, and I should have. Uh, it's just the way it fell. This is the problem when you preach through a book of the Bible. Whatever passage of scripture you hit, that's the one you've got. So today, as we look at this passage, I want to talk to you a second because we're going to take a totally different angle, maybe, than many of you have heard before. Usually when I hear this passage, what I get to hear about is how um, they stole from God. Ananias and Sapphira stole from God, that that was the issue. If you read through the passage, that's not the issue. The issue is not the money. The issue is not whether they gave it all or not. The issue was they lied about it. They lied about what they had done. That was the issue, okay? Sometimes we can get caught up in society and in the things of the world, trying to do things the way the world does it. Sometimes we do it trying to get the things that we need, maybe affirmation that we need. Have you ever seen people that come to church they're really so badly, they just want to fit in somewhere. And they think that maybe I can, maybe if I come here, I'll be accepted and I'll fit in. Uh, but have you ever been around people that they try too hard to fit in? Uh, they look a little bit like this. Um, you've seen people like this. One of these things is not like the other. There we go. Some of you are still at. It takes a little while for some of y'all to catch on. One of those says meow. It's not a real meerkat, right? You've seen, but they come to church. They're not a meerkat but they try to fit in. They try to do all the right things, but they've missed the point of what God's wanting to do in and through us. Quit trying to fake it till you make it. Just come and be who you are and allow God to work in and through you. Some of us go places and we wanna stand out. We wanna look kind of awesome. Um, that's kind of what's going on with Ananias and Sapphira. Um, they see this guy Barnabas sell a piece of land and give it and everybody commends him and how awesome that is. And he gets a new name. He's the son of encouragement. Well, maybe if we did something big, people will think we're awesome. Uh, this is one of the reasons I don't like to know who gives at the church. I don't go back through and look at your giving. Uh, this last year, I probably did a little more than I ever have before. Just as things were going crazy, uh, they would give me reports of what was going on. Uh, but fortunately, my memory's been bad, so I don't remember those things. I don't like knowing what people give. Um, in my church in Florida one time, somebody came up and, and said, I bet you're doing so and such and whatever it was we were doing because so-and-so wants it to happen and they're a big giver. And I said, oh, they are. And they said, yeah. I said, how much do they give? And they said, well, I don't know. I said, well, neither do I. 
but you must you like they give a lot they go well they drive a nice car and they do all these things i'm going just because people drive nice cars and have a lot of stuff doesn't mean that they give a lot right so quit trying to judge by that and so it's easier for me just to look at you all and say i don't really care what you give or how you're giving except that you're asking god and seeking god and allowing him to tell you what to do right it's not about gaining status or all those types of things our giving is all a matter of what God has given us and how do we give back to him whatever he asks as he's laying that on your heart. So the next piece we have is Ananias as far as trying to fake it until they make it or really trying to gain status by who they are. The last group of people is kind of a group that, that one of the things that they will do is they, uh, they do things so they'll raise their point total. You ever been around people like that? Like they think that if I do more good things than bad things, then I get into heaven, right? And the problem with that is we don't, there's a lot of things that we do now. If any of y'all ever watched the show, The Good Place, I don't, I'm not highly recommending it. It's just interesting. There's lots of good philosophy in there. And one of the things they talk about is with the whole point total is there's things that we do now that even when we do it, bad things come alongside of it. So they showed this guy that gave flowers to his grandma. And at the end, he got a positive 40 points for giving flowers to his grandma because he, he did it genuinely because he loved her. Um, he cut the flowers himself off of his own property. Um, they were beautiful. He gave them to her personally. Uh, the only negative side was that he, um, he actually cut the flowers and so it kind of diminished the beauty of the land a little bit and it hurt the bee population. So he got some negative points. So all, all in total was a positive 45 points. Then there was this other dude who just gave his grandmother flowers, um, but he, he got a negative 145 points because he bought them at, at a store and that store also sold product, products that weren't very good for the environment. And the, the flowers actually came from a foreign country where little children worked for subpar wages and then they had to be shipped here, which added to the greenhouse gas effect and all sorts of other things. So he ended up with a negative 145 points. He did the same thing the other dude did, but he got negative points. So I'd ask you, how, how do you add up your points on what's good and what's bad? Who gets to decide what's good? and what's bad. I think you all should take a moment if you think about things that way and say, I have no idea um, what points are added to what. That's a terrible way of thinking about things. When I do things, I'm doing it because God is leading me, God is guiding me, and in the best way I know how, I'm trying to serve and love him and love others through him. That's how we live. But we can get caught up in the things of this world, what the world tells us to do what the TV tells us to do, what social media tells us to do. And once we begin to do that, we really begin to struggle with how I'm living my life. It, we begin to live our Christian life where it looks a whole lot more like the world than it does like Christ. That's what Ananias and Sapphira kind of fell into. So the problem is when they come before God, they're lying. They're lying. They said, here's the whole amount. Wasn't the whole amount. Peter says to them, you're not lying to us. You're lying to God. Now, we, some of us may be sitting here going, oh, I'd never do anything like that. You might not do something like that. But um, some of you have heard me, it's Father's Day. I'm gonna talk about my dad for a second. Um, some of y'all know my dad was a DEA agent. He worked Naval Intelligence for a while in CIS. And then he worked uh, Customs and then DEA. His last job, uh, he was one of the first people trained on a polygraph, lie detector. So he goes to this, this uh, school with the FBI Academy and they bring in all these people, physiological experts, psychological experts, all this stuff, and teach them how this machine works. And so he would run 
the polygraph, whenever we'd have friends or guests come over, if we had a big enough group, I would beg him, Dad, bring it out, bring it out, bring it out, show people. So he would bring out the polygraph, just look like a briefcase, open the thing up, and he'd pick a random volunteer. Who, who wants to? People would raise their hand. He'd pick somebody, and he would hook them up. You know, put the big straps across their chest, put the blood pressure cuff on, put the things on their fingers, you know, and then they're sitting there. And he would say, okay, I'm gonna ask you some questions, but I want you to write down first some basic facts about yourself. They would write them down. And he would say, I want you to tell me the truth on every one of these. If it was me, is your name Dale Benson? Yes. Were you born on January the 7th, 1969? Yes. You know, are you five foot nine on a good day? You know, are you, you know, whatever, just go through those things. And so you answer all those things. You just kind of established a baseline of when you were telling the truth. So then he would start to play a game with you. Say, pick a number between one and 500 and I will guess your number within five guesses. You can lie to me, you can tell me the truth, you can do whatever you want to. This is not, you know, you don't have to answer truthfully, you can lie and I'll still guess your number. And within five guesses, he would guess their number every time. So then he'd go on, he'd say, okay, I'm gonna ask you some questions about such and such. He'd give them the questions and they'd be ready. They'd go down through the questions, finish up. So then he'd explain to people how this all worked and the intricacies of the, of the polygraph. And then he would do something really, really fun. He'd get done and uh, we'd be about finished. Everybody would kind of relax. That was kind of a neat time. He'd say, oh, I got one more question for you. Have you ever, and he would never say anything else, just have you ever, and the th- dials would go all over the place. And he'd look at him and go, what have you done? <laughs> what have you done that you're scared about us finding out? Now, what he said was, if you don't know the questions are coming, you get these really weird reactions. That's why they always give you the questions ahead of time. But what was interesting is I always sat there and wondered, what were they worried about? What are you worried about? Because all of you got an empty feeling in the pit of your stomach, didn't you? When I said, well, have you ever? There's the sense that within us, there's sin. The Bible tells us all of us sinned. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone sitting in this room. This church is a place full full of imperfect people. We're full of imperfect people who serve a perfect God who's calling us to try to be like him. The reality is we all fall short of that mark, but it doesn't mean we quit. We keep moving forward. I think it's interesting that only five chapters into the book of Acts, when we're reading about all this totally cool stuff that the church is doing, Luke throws in here a story of people that lied, that were part of the body of Christ. I know lots of people who don't come to church because, well, the church is full of hypocrites. Yes, it probably is. And if you came, there'd just be one more. What are you laughing for? It's reality, right? It's true. Some people look at this story and see Ananias and Sapphira drop dead and say, wow, that's how they lied and they dropped dead, but it doesn't seem like that happens anymore. I know people that lie and don't drop dead. I've had friends that have lied and they don't drop dead. I've told some things that weren't necessarily true. I didn't drop dead. Sometimes I think we feel like we're getting by with stuff when we're not. I don't usually tell y'all to write stuff down, but if you've got a pen, if you're watching at home, you got your computer, just type this out. God's apparent lack of response to sin in your life is not evidence that God doesn't know what's going on in your life. Say that again. God's apparent lack of response 
to sin in your life is not evidence that God doesn't know what's going on in your life. The second one's just nuanced a little bit. God's apparent lack of response to sin in your life is not evidence that God doesn't care about what's going on in your life. I have a friend who was a pastor. And um, as I was a young man in my 20s, I used to travel for a college. I was watching pastors at different churches and seeing who would I like to work under if I ever became a church staff person. And uh, there were only like a, probably four or five guys maybe that I felt like I would, I would probably like to work for them. They loved the Lord. They were very serious um, about their walk with Christ. Um, they preached the word. I mean, they were, they were dedicated. They were a good people person. This guy was one of those guys, I thought. Um, they had to announce one Sunday, on a Saturday, the district superintendent met with them, took his credentials. They announced to the church the next morning, there were about 600 people there. They had to announce that um, he'd had an affair and that uh, they'd taken his credentials and he would no longer be their pastor. While they're making this announcement, seven women were crying because they all thought they were the one that got caught with him. Talked to him a couple years later and was just going, what, what are you thinking? What was going through your head? Had other friends that had talked to him. And the response was, I know it was wrong, but God still seemed to be blessing my ministry. Good things still seemed to be happening. And I felt like if what I was doing was so wrong, God would have stopped it. God would have stopped the growth in the church. God would not have drawn more people. But God was blessing the things that I was doing. He knew it was wrong. He knew what the Bible said, but he'd fooled himself into thinking it was okay because there were no immediate consequences. I do believe that if God started striking people dead for some of the things that he's told us we need to quit doing, um, lots of us would straighten up much more quickly, no doubt. You know, if somebody lied and they died, people would go, I'm gonna quit lying. I'm done with that. It's interesting in Acts chapter five, after Ananias dies, then after Sapphira dies, both times it says, great fear gripped the church. Well, I would think so. I don't wanna go to that church. People die there if they do something wrong. That'd be a scary thing. Yet it says, great awe was in the community as you read down further in chapter five. They held great respect by the people in the community and the church continued to grow as the people went forth and shared the good news of God. The church is always gonna be full of people that are devout and are trying to serve the Lord. The church is also always gonna be full of people that are hypocrites. Some of you might not like hearing that. Some of you watching online are going, amen, that's why I'm watching online. I don't wanna go with those people. It's fun to watch online. I get what you're thinking. But as we read through what happens throughout the rest of this chapter, the people get up, they go out, they continue to share in the temple courts, they share around. Last, yes, last week, Pastor John talked about Peter and John healing someone. When we get to chapter five, more people are being healed because the church is going out and doing awesome things. The more we begin to pray, the more we see God's hand at work. The more we begin to go do, the more we can see God's hands in action. Folks, I don't have the gift of healing. That is not my spiritual gift. That doesn't keep me from praying for people to be healed. 
because the person that heals is God. It's not me. We've had people here come to the altar and I've prayed over them. The church I came from, I've prayed over them and they've come back. I remember the first time this happened, somebody came back to me at a church in Nashville. We had this thing where at the far ends of the altar, we would pray every Sunday and anoint people for healing. And I remember every week I prayed that I was not on the list to be at the end praying for people. I hated it. This person came down and they were very sick. They had cancer. The doctors had shown them what was going on. And I'm going, Pastor Dale, just pray for me to be healed. And I was going, oh, okay. So I'm praying. And as I'm praying, my words were, Lord, heal them. In my mind, I was praying, dear God, help them find a pastor that can pray over them. Because this is, this is gonna be really, really bad. As I'm praying, they came back the next week and say, Pastor Dale, you'll never believe it. The doctors gave me a clear report. Everything's gone. I've been healed. You prayed over me and I've been healed. <laughs> I was like, you were? They're like, why do you sound surprised? I said, because I am. And then I stopped and they said, Pastor Dale, it's not, they were old enough person. They said, it wasn't you, it was God that did it. I know it was, because it wasn't my faith. Folks, some people will say, praying doesn't really change things. That sometimes we see things and there are coincidences that bring things together, that it's not really prayer. One of the archbishops uh, of the Church of England one time, people said something to him about, you know, a lot of these things that happen as you pray, they're just coincidences. Don't you think it's just coincidence? And he said, I don't know about that. All I do know is that when I pray, more coincidences happen than when I don't pray. I'm done, I guess. That's what that means. <laughs> Time's up. Folks, as we begin to live out what God has called us to live, he can begin to change our hearts. He can begin to change our minds. Too often in the church, we will come, we'll be at church, and we will realize there is sin in our life that needs to be dealt with. And when we come to church, we feel like I feel guilty about this thing in my life. I'm being a hypocrite. And instead of stopping that thing that I'm doing that I know is wrong, I quit going to church so that I won't be a hypocrite. That's the dumbest thing ever for you to do. It's the dumbest thing ever for you to do. There's some people that say, well, I don't wanna to go to church because it's full of hypocrites. It's like saying, I don't wanna to go to the doctor because there's sick people there. Of course there's sick people at the doctor. They're there to get healed. Of course there's gonna be people that are hypocrites at the church. They're trying to strive to follow God. Are some people here because they're posing? Maybe. Are there some people here because it makes them feel better? And that's it, maybe. What I wanna encourage you to be about is fixing your eyes on Christ and allowing him to live in and through you. Because what we read in Acts chapter four is what God can do through James, Peter, and John as they heal this lame man. What we hear in Acts chapter five is how God can work through common, ordinary people like you and me to do those very same miracles if we will let him use us but it happens because we gather together as a people. We may not have everything in common. We may not sell all of our land and bring it and give it and say, hey, just dole this out however you see fit. But we are a people who pray and seek God with whatever we do, whether it involves our money, whether it involves our family life, whether it involves our job, we begin to say, God is in control of everything that I have. 
and I'm gonna let him live in and through me. And I'm gonna seek him and whatever he tells me to do, that's what I'm gonna do. Now, um, at the end of chapter five, skipping over a whole bunch of it, there's a guy named Gamaliel who stands before the Sanhedrin because Peter and John keep preaching. They bring them in and say, we told you quit preaching in this guy's name. And they're like, do with us what you have to do, but we cannot stop preaching in his name. So they decide we're gonna kill him. We're gonna kill these two guys. A guy named Gamaliel, who was a teacher of a guy named Paul. In fact, if Gamaliel's name is one, if you know any devout Jews still alive today and they go to synagogue frequently, they will know the name Gamaliel. He's one of the greatest teachers ever among Jews. Gamaliel stands up and says, hey, look, this dude popped up. He thought he was Messiah. His followers came, he died off, they went away. This guy popped up, same thing, one after the other, they all go away. This Jesus guy, if it's a lie, his disciples are just gonna go away, so let him be. But if he's real, we're gonna find ourselves fighting with God himself. So let's just let it go. So they kind of agreed, because they said, okay, we won't kill him. So they just whipped him, they flogged him. Here's what's crazy. The disciples go back and they tell their friends, guess what? We got flogged for the name of Jesus. Isn't that awesome? We get to share in his sufferings. That sounds crazy. But they're going, we forsook him. But now we have the opportunity to live like him and look like him. And it says again, here's what it says. Let me read to you. In chapter five, verse 40 to 42. The others in the Sanhedrin accepted Gamaliel's advice. They called in the apostles, had them flogged, then ordered them never to speak again in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, say from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message. Jesus is the Messiah. Folks, why do we come to church? It's Father's Day. Some of you may say, my dad made me come. Some of you may say, well, my dad really wanted to sleep in. Uh, somebody was in here today saying they wanted their husband to be able to sleep in and come to second service. And everything they did this morning made noise, opening the ironing board, the whole deal. They're like, honey, I'm so sorry. I was trying to let you sleep in. Um, I did the opposite. I got up early. My kids were still laying in bed. They didn't give me breakfast in bed or anything. So we're getting ready to go on vacation. So I just smacked my suitcase all the way down the stairs. Told him I, I didn't do that really, but we have opportunity to live out the life of Christ. You and I have the opportunity to share the love of God with those that are around us. Fathers, don't forsake the gathering of bringing your kids to church. They're watching you. They're watching you what you live out. Mothers, same is true for you. Uncles and aunts, the same is true for you. My kids don't just watch me. My kids watch those of you that they know. It takes a village to raise a Christian community. Don't forsake coming, even if the church is full of hypocrites like Ananias and Sapphira. I'm gonna read for you a blog a friend of mine wrote. Um, you'll see some bullet points pop up on the screen here. Um, well, I say I'm gonna read it. Uh, it's by a guy named Rob um, 
Rob Prince. Don't, don't hold this against him. He's from the state up north. You know what I'm talking about? Um, I don't hold it against him, but his title is um, Why Jesus, Why Jesus Didn't Leave the Church, or Why Jesus Quit Going to Church, sorry. And then his big clue is he didn't, and neither should you. Um, here's reasons to stop attending worship gatherings. Luke chapter four says this, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath. Jesus went to the synagogue. This is in a day and age where the people that met at the synagogue were Pharisees and Sadducees, the very people that were trying to kill him, the people that he called whitewashed tombs and a brood of vipers. He would go to church with those people. Why? It was his custom. It's what he did. Jesus didn't avoid those who didn't think like him or act like him. He knew the synagogue was full of hypocrites and he still went anyway, as was his custom. Jesus went, even though he was God, the one who was God who needed to be worshiped, went to worship his father. He did not, if there was anybody that didn't need to go to church, Jesus didn't need to go to church. But the person who needed worship the least continued to go as was his custom. He attended public worship to glorify God. He gathered together, not because he got something out of it. What was he gonna get out of it? He went because we were there to worship God and glorify him. That's too why we should go. People and institutions are made up of imperfect people. If you're imperfect, say amen. If you're not imperfect, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Going to worship was a part of Jesus' custom. And I realize some of you are saying, why are you telling us this? We're already here. Because there may be some of us that say, well, I don't know, they'd really miss us at church if we didn't go. Some of you may be saying, ah, I'm kind of getting tired of so-and-so. You know who they are. You know what they do. They come to church, they do all this stuff, but I know what's going on in their secret life. So I don't know that I can go and worship with them anymore. Some of you may be sitting here saying, there's junk in my life that I know I need to take care of and I haven't taken care of it. And I don't know that I'm gonna take care of it, so I'm just gonna quit going to church. I'm gonna quit being part of that community. I'm gonna ask you not to do that. Not because we need your money. Not because we need you, you have to be here. So we can count numbers. Need you here because that's how Christ died for us, was to be a part of his church. And as we, the church, get out in the community and serve and do things, the world sees a, a group of people that are different. People that even though they're different, they're united under this one God. Would you stand with me real quick and bow your heads? I'm gonna ask you if you would to bow your heads, close your eyes. Jesus tells a story about hypocrites. He says, why do you go, those of you who have a log in your own eye and try to take a speck out of your brother's eye? First, take the log out of your own eye, then you can go and remove the speck from your brother's eye. Here's what I'm gonna ask you to do while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed on this Father's Day. Some of you can look and picture a heavenly father that loves you. 
And if you can do that, do that. There may be some of you who have a struggle thinking of God as a heavenly father. So I want you to picture a loving God who cares for you. Whatever that looks like, picture this loving God that died on the cross for your sins. That's how much he loves you. And in your mind, I just want you to lift your, lift your head and open your eyes and look at him. And say to him, Jesus, God, I've got junk in my eyes. I'm not living the way I need. I need to be cleansed. Can you remove the sin in my life? Remove the plank. Remove the the splinters. Make me who you died for me to be. Father, I pray that you would cleanse my eyes. Cleanse my heart. Remove the sin that's within me. Give me the power that you gave those early disciples to share your word with others and to live out a life that's consistent with what I'm sharing. I cannot do it on my own. I need your help. I don't care if this is your first day walking into the church doors or if you've gone to church your whole life. Today's the day to come clean with a God who already knows everything. You're not lying to those that are around you. You're lying to God. He already knows what's going on in your heart. He doesn't need a polygraph. He's looking at you in love and saying, let me help clean you up. Let me fill you with my Holy Spirit so that you can live the life I've called you to live. You cannot do it on your own. I know that you've tried. Let me live that life in and through you. Father, as we prepare to leave this place today, as Pastor John comes to close us, I pray that you would guide us, direct us, fill us with your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you would live in us in such a way that the world around Grove City and Columbus and the greater Columbus area would talk about you because of the way you've seen, they've seen you live through us. All these things we ask and pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast. Stay connected with us at thenaz.church.